When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Both of them sketchy and sometimes slow. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd today, Jamie Watson and Zolgad in the TCL Broadcast Studios. I want to uh, circle back on what we were just talking about, sir. So you you played for this uh, franchise in its uh, previous incarnation for three years and uh, have now been the sideline reporter on television for two years. In year two right now. Um, so here's my question. What is your approach from this, from this vein? Because this, in this market can drive me crazy. We have some analysts. Jim Pete on the Wolves is phenomenal. He's great. I sit down to watch a Wolves game and I'm certainly not Mr. Basketball, but I, and, but I learn something every game. Um, and he criticizes without crossing lines. I don't think, you know, I'm sure there are sometimes the Wolves aren't super happy with him, but I don't think he's ever gone out of his way to be critical. But if something's going wrong, he'll tell you this is what went wrong. Or if Tibbs plays a guy too much, he'll question that. It's just really, really solid. Uh, there are other uh, telecasts that you can figure out in this market where I watch the games and I learn nothing. And I basically learned that I that what I should do is go to the team's novelty store and buy a pennant and jersey and be happy about it. What has been your approach to your job to doing a job where one you're employed by the team, uh, two you have deep ties to that team, and three you travel with the team, you know the players. I'm sure some of these guys are your friends. How how have you approached that since the start, and how have you tweaked? that approach to be as good as you can possibly be in explaining the game to people and explaining what went right and wrong. Uh, but also, I'm sure there's also the thought of you don't want to, if things aren't going well, i.e. last season, you have to be a little bit careful. Yeah, absolutely. In fairness. So, so great question, Judd, first of all. Um, and I appreciate just kind of asking that because it is it is a whole learning curve for me. I've, I'm on the broadcast with Callum Williams, who does our play-by-play. He is hands down, in my opinion, the best play-by-play broadcaster in all of MLS. He is incredible. I think fans here in this this market are very, very lucky to have him call games. Um, and then Kendra D. St. Aubin does the color commentary. But I'm on the sideline, and we do a very open three-person broadcast where I can chime in. And I, I'm not a sideline reporter that says something for 30 seconds, and then you don't hear me right. again until the second yes. half. I'll come in probably 10 times a half on things that I'm seeing, things that I'm hearing. Um, And for me, I didn't go to broadcast school. 
I didn't learn this. I'm not, I haven't been doing this much more than when I was a player and I would come in on the show and Phil would do um, Top Chef or NASL player game. And I would just basically see what you guys did. And then now I'm doing it for a profession. I'm so lucky that I have Callum because Callum has been a great mentor for me, kind of teaching me how to do this. But the biggest thing he says is, is you got hired to be this in this role to be yourself. So be yourself. I'm figuring out who I want to be as a broadcaster. And within this role, the, the biggest thing I've learned is you have to maintain credibility in what you're saying if you are the quote-unquote expert that people are listening to and learning from mid-game. Now, I need to be able to talk to somebody as a broadcaster in the middle of a game if this is the first time you've ever tuned in, and I need to say it in a way that you can learn something from the game. But also, if you're in the top 1% of knowledge in the game and you are an ex-pro that is watching it, or maybe a current pro and you're watching it, where they go, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Much harder to do. As I'm sure you know, because there's people sometimes that tune in when you're talking about a topic, Judd, that I don't know about um, hockey very much, but but you're an expert, so bring me along. Teach me. But then if somebody, if, if Boudreaux is listening, you want him to go, Okay, yeah, that's a fair point. He knows what he's actually talking about. Mm-hmm. How do I do that now? Because I know the guys. I played with the guys. A lot of my friends, I'll talk about them on a Saturday night on Fox Sports North that reaches 2 million people in five states. But then I got to see him Monday morning at 10 a.m. at practice. But I want you at home to actually go, that's a fair point. Everything that I say, like I said last segment, I would say to their face. And so if a guy's having a bad game, and I'll take, for instance, I'll, I'll say this about Ibsen, who's been one of our best players. He's a Brazilian, one of the best players I ever played with. He was so good and a teammate of mine. I, I actually, I joke, I feel bad he had to play with me. Like, I was three years of his career that just drug him down, and he's had this resurgence <laughs> in MLS where he's incredible. He was not good against San Jose in the first game. And the first way that I really, this is the first time I had to address it with him, one of our better players, Judd. I had to say on the broadcast, as long as we've known Ibsen in MLS and you've gotten to see him play, this is as poor of a game as he has had in this league. So we'll take into account the 27, 28 games he played last season and excelled and was one of the best players. This is the kind of performance that you will want to forget from him. He probably won't even watch the tape on because it's a bad game. You throw this one out and you get back at it the next week and you say everything that makes him good where he can expat. You, you talk about the good things that they do and how it's not happening tonight and why that's happening. Maybe the reading of the game is not spot on. Maybe it's a maybe it's a compliment of the other team. Maybe you start to say, the other team's playing so well that one of our best players is being neutralized and he's out of the game. And it's almost like uh, this way of saying, it's educating in a sense to say, like, if you're watching this game, he, he he's not just crap. He's not just, he's not just a bad player. He right. sucks. No, he's a professional athlete who's had a storied career, much like all these guys are. But he's it's, having a bad night, and you need to acknowledge exactly, that. Exactly, because nobody at in a professional level sucks. If we're really talking about it, I, even the, the 12th man on an NBA roster, he doesn't suck. There's 30 teams in the NBA. How many teams? I mean, 30-some-odd teams in the NBA, 12 guys on a team. So quick math, which I'm not going to do, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I get Quick your point, math turns yes. into, uh, let me borrow your it's fingers. It's a professional athlete. You don't suck. You're having a bad night, and, yep. and this is what's going wrong, and this is not what's happening. And then he was thinking this mindset to try to pull this off, and it doesn't happen. I think if you can talk 
about a player who's having a bad night in a way that if they were set in the same room with you, they would probably watch the tape and go, you're right. I was thinking a variation of this comment that you made. I was trying to do this. This didn't happen. As a player, a former player, I understand for the most part what each person is thinking when they mess up and what they were trying to do. Nobody sets out to mess up. Mm -hmm. But when they make a mistake, if you put some knowledge and some actual care into what you're saying, like this is the thought they were having. Had it gone well, it would have happened this way. Instead, this happened. Here's the effects of it. And it's happened several times tonight. That constitutes a not good performance on the night. It it, it takes... It's just not being lazy in your criticism. Right. Well, and it's also not being just so pro-team that you refuse to criticize. And you can't be a homer. Because if you're a homer, you're going to listen and go, I don't care what this guy says because well, you're going to try to tell me it's good. Well, you could be. You just are choosing not to be, and, which and that's, I respect. that's the way Cal and Kendra and I try to do every broadcast. Sometimes it comes off more clear that we're not homers than others. But, you know, I mean, the reality is we, we want the team to do well. But if they're bad on a night, we have to say it, or you're not going to trust anything we say after that. Well, and last year had to be the perfect example of that because there were a lot of nights that were. Well, we started the season with the five-one loss, and then a six-one loss at home, and the same reality was that that I would try to tell people is, you say we're the worst team that's ever played this game, and Grant Wall, who's a Sports Illustrated writer, said we're going to be the worst team in MLS history, which ended up being wrong. There were three other teams that had worse years than we did, just in just in 2017 alone. Sure. If we'd have won those games 5-1 and 6-1, those same experts, quote-unquote, wouldn't have said, this is going to be the greatest team in MLS history. And then we turned around, got things right, made trades, the system started working with Adrian Heath, it got better, and the team did much better. This season, we're already we're at 2-1 and one, uh, through the first three games. Already won a game on the road. Last year, we didn't win our first road game until August. Mm-hmm. So you've checked that off the list. We've won two games in March. We didn't win a game in March all last season. The comparisons between 2017 and 18 are night and day. But again, if we'd have started 3-0, Judd, I wouldn't have tried to convince you that we're the greatest team in the league, in the league's history. You have to have some sort of fine line to it, and I hope I convey that. I, I try to do that on the broadcast. I'm learning as I go, and, and I love this profession because what people like yourself, Phil, Dave do, nobody knows the hours of preparation that goes into it. So you get into this spot to where you can put an educated statement together about it. I'm learning we'll that try, each yeah. and every day. And yeah, look, sometimes it's educated. Sometimes well, I mean, it can Dave, be educated until Dave a player prepares, does the exact opposite. Dave prepares a lot. <laughs> yeah. And and I have so much more respect than I ever did now being on this side of it. But I love it too because I want to try to bridge the gap between what you see watching a game with your buddy in the bar to what the player was thinking. There's a happy medium in there. How can I try to convey that? And that's what you try to get on the broadcast with Minnesota United. And, and hopefully I don't cuss along the way. Or you hear Adrian Heath cussing cl- in the mic. Have you come close so far? No, I, I'm t- I'm terrified. Well, your head coach, I like I'm this sure job. Ha- I'm sure your head coach is uh, probably. Callum Williams threw it to me one time. Very he goes, close. I see your coach Adrian Heath is very animated on the sideline. Jamie, what's he saying? And it was the most honest response I've ever said. I, I said, well, Callum, do you want me to tell you or do you want me to keep my job? And it actually got in the middle of a and Callum's the most That's professional guy. <laughs> he was like, uh, 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 I want you to keep your job, but tell me what he's saying. So it had to be a PG-13 version of what it was. But it's uh, it's deciphering what Adrian says and, and putting it into a version that I could tell my two-and-a-half-year-old son. He uh, He's great, um, but he strikes me as he's got some tibs to him. Adrian Heath? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I think he's more, I think he's a, a, a more fun Tibbs. If you can, like, he, stri- he strikes me as 
I think if you sat down to have a beer with Tibbs, it would still be very serious. Yes, but and, it, Adrian's the opposite. And with Heath, I think it's the yes. That's if, my point is I think he's more fun. If you could choose to have a beer with anybody in the world, he would be in my top five. And I've had Although hundreds you, of beers with him. Have you told him yet? What so so he came here to an interview for that job now what two years ago yes. or two and a half years ago? Have you told him how stupid it was to go to Brits? Why he stopped in Brits for a pint because it was supposed to be secret, right? Oh yeah, no, oh, yeah. no but I'm saying, but I'm saying the one the least it's a Burnley, thing it's a do. Burnley the the Higgins brothers who run it are Burnley diehard oh, yeah. fans. He is a Burnley legend, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. He so, is. like the last of all the bars in this town to go, and I'm sure he was referred there. But of all, but if you're told, hey, hey, Adrian, key, just low key it, right? Quiet. Hit yeah. a ground round. Hit a Fuddruckers. Brit's Pub in downtown Minneapolis is the only place where that man it's was going to be recognized. Of soccer bars, I mean, yeah. Hey, what's going on? Can I get a pint? Yeah, it's Adrian Heath. Yeah, he didn't pay for a drink all night there. He. Uh... <laughs> He, by the way, Genius. he is he is one of the most charismatic people, and and we have a show Tuesday night six to seven, the Adrian Heath show. Uh, if you get a chance, that's appointment radio because he is somebody that I almost get scared having an hour long with him. Where sometimes we get in the studios, and I know Manny Hill's behind the booth, and and Dave C, we're all like, he's gonna forget that like a lot of people are listening. And he's just going to keep going because he thinks it's just us three sitting here it's talking. A red to him. There's a red button for a reason. Yeah, exactly. They're going to tell you that. <laughs> he's, it's a great listen. He's one of the most charismatic people who genuinely cares about it. Loves the Twin Cities. You can tell that he does. It's it's real. Uh, it's enthusiastic. And I think that's why people like him so mm-hmm. much. Um, but if you ever get a chance to, to see him out in the public and talk to him, do it. Because he's the most charismatic guy who, if you're on the fence about soccer... One conversation with the guy, and he'll bring you along. He's one of the best ambassadors for the game I've ever met. Is the show going to hit the road like it did last year for a few episodes as well? He, that's a good place to get out and see you guys at work there. Yeah, and we got a chance. Uh, Heineken was a great sponsor for us last year. We went and did some some great shows uh, last year out and about, and we actually one of them was at Brits. Uh, we went downtown. Shocking! Uh, I showed up for that one. Yeah, right. That was uh, that was great of you. We had a great time, and um, we've had we have some good guests. It's just going to get better and better, and. Um, we'll do it again. Thanks to uh, to Brad Lane for for that and Heineken, our sponsor. Man, it was it was awesome. We'll do that again this year. Take a break. Uh, Chris Wright, CEO of United, will join us at eleven thirty for a couple segments. But before we go anywhere, folks, I want to talk to you about my friends at Prime Mortgage Lending and uh, Kent McCullough in particular. If you are looking for a mortgage company, I want you to start with Kent, and I want you to start with Prime. And there's a reason for that. This isn't about simply selling you on something. Prime wants to earn your trust. In fact, they would rather earn your trust than sell you alone. I said that correct. I will repeat it slowly because it might be hard to believe, but it's true. They would rather earn your trust than sell you alone. That means that while Prime would love to have you as a client, they want to meet with you first. They want to explain their plan to you, and then from there, the decision is up to you. But if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. Here's a for instance. Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing costs? Yes, pay your closing costs. Not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you. And here is the way to get hold of Prime and Kent. Just go to their website, goprimewithkent.com. That's goprimewithkent.com. Once again, that's goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. Back after this, Mackie and Judd Watson in for Mackie today. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. And we are in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Uh, Chris Wright, CEO of Minnesota United, to join us shortly. 
But you know, before we get to football, Dave Harrigan, I think what we should do is some football. I want to mock. Mock. I want to mock. Mock. All right. What do we have today as far as the mock drafts go? We've got a brand new mock, Judley. This one comes to us from The Big Lead, USA Today Sports. Jason McIntyre, a well-known mocker among mocking circles. This is, let me double check. Oh, this is the 2018 NFL Mock Draft post-free agency edition. Oh, so this is the real deal. Yes. This isn't... uh messing around i mean i'm sure there's some more free agents out there but you sure, know, but, all the, the, yeah. the free agents of relevance of of real substance have all been scooped up and moved on great thought given to this mock draft absolutely so here we go wow i mean it's it's just the start of it is unbelievable you don't see sam darnold at the top of this one like you did in yesterday's mocking he, for wait, wait, he was throwing in the rain yesterday he and, has to go first and to apparently he was chucking dimes too but he doesn't go uh first overall in fact he doesn't even go second. We'll get to him in a little while because right. number one overall wow. to the Cleveland Browns quarterback, Wyoming. They're going Josh Allen. Really? Yeah, they're taking the Mel Kuyper route. Oh, okay. Anyway, then you've got Saquon Barkley, two to the Giants. Then we Wait, find. Really? Yes. Yes, they want a running back. Apparently, they believe in Eli. They believe that he's got years left. Or <laughs> have have they looked at Eli's birth certificate? Yeah, well, you know, if uh, what, what do we got here? Barkley and Odell Beckham would give the Giants the third best young running back receiver tandem, which does that matter all that much, I guess, aside no. from fantasy points? No, it doesn't but Good matter. for them. They'll win fantasy games. Uh, Sam Darnold, number three to the Jets. Bradley Chubb, defensive end. NC State goes to Cleveland at four. There's Josh Rosen at five to Denver. Oh, scroll down a little bit. I'm looking <laughs> See for Case Keenum after one year. Baker Mayfield. He goes to 11 to Miami. Hmm. Let's go all the way to 30, shall we? That just happens to be where the Minnesota Vikings will select out of Boston College, Edge Rusher Harold Landry. I want a mock. Mock. So once again, they're not taking an offensive guard; they're taking a, an edge rusher. Edge rusher, so is according this to McIntyre. Is this the is this the pound of flesh for Zim? If I allow you, Rick Spielman, to sign Cousins for this ridiculously large contract, and by the way, as you know, I hate quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You're signing me a nose tackle in Richardson, or a three technique in Richardson, <laughs> and you're also giving me an edge rusher in the first round, and we are not going offense. It seems a lot of professional mockers uh, believe exactly what you just said, that Zim will hold the final uh, the final say when it comes to the, that first-round pick, at least. I also saw uh, today that the uh, Giants have made a trade. They traded Jason Pierre, Paul, in, and some draft picks going to Tampa Bay, yes, I guess. Yes, that so, is correct. I, is it? Am I missing something here? Eli Manning is getting old. In a draft that has a lot of potential quarterbacks up high, don't you, Jamie Watson, need to take one? I, I don't understand. Are you really going to keep putting all your eggs in that basket? For, you can't. You can't. Pat Shermer's supposed to be a quarterback guy to develop a quarterback. Well, and he's he's the perfect guy for it. Where It's going to be tough, obviously, transitioning from having him here at the Vikings there. But I think you saw it in Indianapolis when all the eggs were in the Andrew Luck basket, and the injury was worse than everybody thought. And you had Jacoby Brissett, who everyone is saying is going to be great. He's going to be great. But... There's been no real development. You haven't seen it's. It's only been Andrew Luck, 
And then now you put him into the mix, and then the Colts were completely irrelevant this year. And I think if you get into that mindset with the Giants, with Eli Manning, that it is Eli Manning, it will be Eli Manning, it always will be him, that's naive to think. I would bet a large sum of money that they will draft a quarterback in the first four rounds. And if you're Pat Shermer and you just got the job and you are an offensive coordinator and you are supposedly a quarterback guru, are you really going to show up and say, oh, that's fine. I'll just continue to work with a 30, what is it, seven-year-old? That's the first thing he'll probably tell you is, what I'd say, are no, we doing? No, we got to develop, I got to develop a quarterback. If I'm going to keep my job, I'm not going to keep it because Eli finds the uh, fountain of youth at the tender age of 37 or something and, like and that. And just off off memory, isn't it Geno Smith is the backup quarterback there now? On, they, but they also had a third-string guy that they drafted last year, right? They they drafted a quarterback. I think they drafted him not high, I don't think, but but it, it's not a. I don't think it's a guy that's going to develop. No. And yes, they had they had Geno Smith. In fact, I think Geno Smith's claim to fame now is didn't, didn't he come out as a, a flat earther a couple yeah, weeks oh, ago yeah. on yeah. Twitter? Did that, you see that, that is, that's one way. That. Go back and look yeah, at his tweets. Uh, I don't gosh. think he deleted them. It's hilarious. D- Davis Effort? Webb is that is the is the third uh, quarterback well, you're talking about? Not, yeah. Yeah, you, second you year out of somebody. Cal, you got to draft a guy then. You absolutely have to somebody that could be a franchise quarterback. There's a lot this year. Gino, a lot to do some. Gino came out as a flat earther about two weeks ago, and at first I thought it was just a spoof and a joke by him because it was so funny. And then people started to confront him about it, and you could tell he was serious. Well, didn't he say he, he, he puts? He, sorry, he put yeah, he put some tweet out that said uh, flat earther. I'm going uh, off to do some exploring, and then he scared everybody because he didn't he didn't tweet for like a couple of weeks, and everyone was like, uh, Hey, hey, Gino, how? That exploring go? Are you? Do you get lost along the way? And then he and then he might tweeted something. Off. Yeah, he might <laughs> fall off the edge. But he got very. As I recall, he got he responded to some tweets and got offended. Yeah, like so. Got I upset think he's serious. It. Yeah. Oh, Twitter. It was hilarious. Uh, so the Vikings have their new stadium. The Twins have theirs. The uh, Wolves have a remodeled arena. The Wild clearly has theirs as well. The Saints have CHS Field, and the United is. One year, basically, or less, from opening its new stadium, which is uh, progressing, as far as I can tell, on my trips down I-94 very rapidly. We will talk to Chris Wright, CEO of the uh, team, about that next and several other subjects. So for the next half hour, Chris Wright in studio, and that is the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Yeah, screw those guys. I don't even like them. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Finlay tried to cross and it's blocked. Spinning into the right corner. Now Ibarra with a cross. Header. Save made. Rebound. He scores. Ibsen with a Minnesota goal. Mackey and Judd, the show. Jamie Watson, uh, sideline reporter for United in with us today. Uh, Chris Wright, CEO of that franchise. Uh, joins us now. How are things going, Chris? Judd, it, uh, it's going Great really well. We, we, yeah, we got off to a great start this season, so I'm in a really, really good mood right now. So, Got another big game on Saturday, however, and it's a little bit different. But, uh, hey, we're in a great place right now. Thank you, Judd, for the invitation. Of today. course. Now, you were not around um, for all of the struggles of last year, but just as far as you can tell, what is the, what is the change in focus, feeling around this franchise uh, compared to year one in MLS? Um, you know, I, I think you've used some of the describing words that I would use. Um, you know, there's a different sort of level of engagement, focus, um, direction. I think we're so much better organized than maybe we were a year ago. I mean, um, you know, the, the the problems with the launch of any expansion franchise, um, particularly this one, are well chronicled. Um, you know, this team was put together, you know, in, in a very, very sort of uh, quick way. 
uh, there was no long runway to building this roster. And so obviously, you know, every day, um, you know, whether it's Manny Lagos and Amos and, um, you know, our coaching staff, um, they're looking at this roster. How do we make our players better? How do we make the roster better? How do we become better and elite on so many different levels? And you're a year in, so I'm the beneficiary mm-hmm. of um, a tremendous amount of hard work that has already been done before me. Um, and, and what I can do is just bring a little bit more focus maybe to certain areas of the team that that I see that where we need to improve. And uh, I think everybody, everybody on the staff are working so hard you know, to make this into a great club, an elite club um, every single day. But that's a journey uh, that we're all on together. And Chris, you talked about everything was kind of thrown together really quickly in the offseason, making that transition from NASL to MLS. And it taken a little bit of while, and, and I'd argue one of our best signings of the club history was bringing you in. Um, since about mid-August of last year, when we made the trade for Ethan Finley, most of the roster has been set. There's a little bit of turnover, a few additions in the offseason. But about mid-August was when the team really took shape. The core group was established. Minnesota United is actually fourth in all of MLS with points since then. So would you say that where the team is and where it's going just took a little bit of while, took a while, took a little bit of patience, some key additions like yourself, Ethan Finley, some of the trades that were made, do you feel good with where things are? What's the, how does the team evolve from here? Because on the field, fourth best in all of the league in points since mid-August, how does it continue to get better from here? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy, you raised so many different things inside of sort of that uh, question. Number one, uh, you know, I'm not on the field of play, and and you know, thank you for saying that I'm a great signing. But um, you know, in the end, it really we've got to be all about the players, and we've got to be about all about this team and building. You know, incredible group of young men who go out and represent this brand every single day, and um, you know, it's um, you know, it's that journey that I just mentioned to uh, to Judd. Every single one of those young men, uh, for whatever reason, um, they really want to be here. They really want to be part of this club. They really want to be part of this club's future because it is bright. You were talking about Allianz Field in the intro, Judd. Um, they all want to be part of. Um, this incredible opportunity that we we all have. Knowing that, though, um, to your point, we've we've got to get better at everything that we do. We don't just want to be a good club. We don't even want to be a great club. We want to be an elite club, um, and we want everybody to recognize that. and And that's a build. Um, what Manny and Adrian put together in the first year is um, a, a tremendous group of. Uh, soccer players, athletes, human beings, chemistry is very, very good. We've just got to get deeper and we've got to get better in certain positions that are really meaningful inside of our game. And, you know, we we will do that. We're focused on that every single day. But um, your point about sort of having the fourth best record since August, you know, in the league um, uh, does not go unnoticed. Um, you know, those results are real. Um We've got off to a great start again this year. I mean, this Saturday will be interesting given our injuries and it's an international weekend and we have three guys who have been called up by their international teams. But, you know, th- those are the things that you've got to manage every single day. But w- one of these days, we're on a great path here. Um, we're on a great path to making this a real elite soccer franchise. Well, and, and you're talking about managing every single day. And, and I know Judd... Uh, I can't believe we've gone this long without talking about Allianz Field, and, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, probably next. But one thing I wanted to talk to you when we're talking about managing day in and day out, as a CEO of Minnesota United, the business side of things, with your experience with 
the Timberwolves, and with the Lynx, the club has taken on this new transformation in the front office. And you've kind of spearheaded it all, been the captain of the ship with that. The gender equality that Minnesota United has in the front office with some of the females in executive positions and everything like um, like that's that's transpired since you've taken on. Where is it? How do you feel about it? The state of the front office and the business side of things that you do manage day in and day out from the horse's mouth. What's it what's it been like for your perspective? And where do things stand? Yeah, I mean that that is a great question. Um, you, you know, the lot, lots of things again to what you've just said. I'm a huge culture guy. Um, I believe that if you get it right internally, you've got a great opportunity externally. Um, we're working very, very hard to get it right internally. Part of that is embracing the global game, uh, the game that we're involved with. It's a diverse game. It's um, it speaks to a lot of different societal things. Uh, that are, are happening in the world today. And, you know, we've, we're part of that. And, you know, we've got to have a response to that. And we've got to have actions that sort of prove out every single day uh, that um, uh, we embrace gender equity, equal opportunity, diversity, inclusion uh, in so many different ways. And I'm a huge believer in that. I was at the Wolves and the Lynx. Um, if you talk to the Lynx folks, you, you know, they will tell you their version of the Chris Wright story. And how we built that thing, and um, I'm, I'm doing the same with uh, Minnesota United. And if you be begin to take and let, let's just take gender equity as one thing. Um, you know, Maureen Smith yesterday was announced as the chief operating officer of our club. If you look at Stacy Harden, she's the only head athletic trainer uh, inside of the MLS uh, today that's a female. If you look at Kendra De St. Alban, your colleague, your peer uh, inside of our broadcasts. Um, there aren't too many broadcasts of male-dominated sports where you have a female lead as part of a broadcast crew. Um, and you go on into the director level of our club. We just hired Katie Mattis from um, you know, the MLS um, to lead our corporate sales area. We have Mel Sizer, who's the director of our ticket sales area. We, we can go on and on and on and take a look at female leadership inside of our club, and it brings this incredible perspective, an incredible balance, and it's it's... It's not what we should do. It is definitively where we should be as an organization. Um, and, and at the same time, we've got to embrace diversity um, and make sure that we're a representative of this incredible diverse game that we are all part of. Look at our team. Look at the United Nations that is our team. Um, and our front office has got to represent that. Um, and, you know, that is the... That's the path that we are on to make sure that all of that happens inside of Minnesota United. So, uh, Chris, right, of all the things to be excited about, where does the stadium rank? Because I, I go to, to lots of wild games and drive down at 94 a lot. And two and a half, three months ago, you could see stuff going on. And now I go by it and, and at least facing the freeway, it looks like there's rapid progress there. So wh where do things stand as far as the excitement about going into a soccer-specific stadium in 2018. So if you're excited, Judd, about sort of driving by it on I-94, which is your perspective, what, yep. I, what I want to do with you is take you inside the stadium because all of our fans will walk in at grade, but about half of them will actually walk down into the bowl. So when you actually uh, go to the stadium and you actually walk into the stadium and go down onto the pitch, and then you look up, you get a completely different perspective from I-94 as you're driving by the stadium. And today, actually, as I drove by it on my way over here, 
um, I took a swing by the north end of the stadium is going in. So um, our stadium is is virtually, it, it's looking as though it's sort of complete. Uh, we're about 55% of the way along. We're, we're building what arguably I think will be, will be challenged by LAFC and what they're doing. But I believe that these two stadiums, because they're both really, they're today, they're this next generation of stadiums that are, the cathedrals to our game inside of this country. And I think it's between us and them, you know, relative to who's building the cathedral um, for this great game of soccer in this country. But this thing is going to be unique. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be built for the fans. The fans are at the center of all of the thinking around the stadium. Um, you know, Wonderwall is going in. Um, this rake of 37 degrees where 2,800 fans will stand behind the goal and create the atmosphere for the stadium. So many unique aspects to it. I'm really, really excited. This time next year, you're going to be going to a game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be going to the official opening of oh. Allianz Field, one year away. That is an official invite, Judd. You're going, I was going to say, can I get in the press box? I know. I might even get you down on the field and you know put a pair of shorts on you and see if you can score a goal on me. Downside to that is you got to <laughs> no, be with me. No, you know, no, no. That's a really bad idea. <laughs> um, so in-game experience. What can people expect? Maybe they haven't been yet. Maybe they're they're dipping their toes in the water and say, I want to see a game now. Um, and people may have heard this. The the marketing campaign has been Scarves Up Minnesota. What does that mean to you? And, and what is that like? Because I know what it's like on the, on the field when I see a corner kick and 23,000 people are literally waving a scarf. And it's it's a sight to be seen. It's it's something that's unforgettable. What is... What is a game day experience like? What can people expect? What are the highlights? What, is, what will they take away from a game that they go see Minnesota United play? And the, uh, Jimmy, you, you mentioned one thing inside of that question uh, around the different number of people who have never been to a game. And, you know, what, what can you expect around that? And we, we had a reception uh, before uh, our home opener against Chicago on Saturday, and we invited about 300 guests. Um, a lot of them we have relationships with. A lot of them are prospects for us. And, you know, they'd, ne- they'd never been inside of the stadium, and we had 23,000 people there. And I had one guy who came over to me and say, uh, after we announced the attendance, say, did you give 23,000 scarves away today? That's crazy. And I said, no, we didn't. <laughs> you know, it, and, and he said, well, what, what happened there? And I, I said, you know, the scarf is, is such a tradition inside of our game that it, it's not a fashion statement. It's a statement around, I love this brand. I love this team. It's a team scarf. And he said, well, what is all this stuff where they wave it over the top of their heads for a corner kicks? And I said, that's a tradition. It's around our campaign, but our campaign was built out of the tradition. And so even last year, that's what our fans decided to do at corner kicks. I've never seen that anywhere else in the world. I've been Hmm. involved in this game for 40 odd years, but I've never seen that. That's a Minnesota United tradition. So you go in there, we get a corner kick. 23,000 fans on Saturday twirling their scarves above the head. It's in, an incredible feeling. I Goosebumps as I'm watching that thing. So we have all of these traditions, the singing of Wonderwall when we win. I mean, we had 23,000 people who would have stayed for about an hour singing Wonderwall to our players if they'd stayed out on the field after the game on Saturday. I mean, it's incredible. The march to the match, completely different. So the atmosphere generated by the fans inside of the stadium uh, is really, truly what this game is all about. Let's uh, take a break, come back with more with Chris Wright after this. The show is Mackie and Judd. Jamie Watson in for Phil today. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios.
Phil Mackey. I like his odds of uh, of replacing somebody on TNT. Judd Zolgad. Just a genuinely awesome guy. Very giving of his time. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Join Rookie in 1500 ESPN at Station 280 St. Paul. They'll be there tonight, 530 to 730. It's the ultimate college basketball tournament. Viewing party, basket pong, prizes, bracketology. And fantastic beer specials sponsored by Dos Equis. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, David. Mackie Judd today is uh, Zolgad and Watson from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Joined right now by Chris Wright, CEO of United, the uh, MLS soccer team in its second year here in this town. Uh, Chris, back to the stadium question. Um, as, as somebody who ha- I have, I don't think I've ever seen a game in a soccer-specific venue what is that step going to be like going from TCF? I, I saw games at Met Stadium. I saw indoor games at Met Center. Uh, what's that step going to be like, though, going from an outdoor, non-soccer-specific venue to one that is built for the sport? Yeah, um, I, I, I can't remember, actually, the kicks uh, at the the old Met Center. I'm, I'm assuming that that was grass, but obviously the other stadiums that you mentioned. Uh, Met Stadium uh, was grass, but yeah. very much built, for, you know, an erector set, not an attractive yeah. place. Yeah, and it was a big sort of football stadium, yeah. obviously. Um, but, you know, obviously building a, a stadium for, you know, the, the beautiful game, the great game, the global game, um, you know, it's a grass field first and foremost. So, um, you know, talking about walking into the stadium, going down into the bowl, uh, number one. When you walk down there, you're going to walk down onto grass, which is currently being grown in Colorado. Um, you know, it's about 14 inches deep. The roots sort of go down, and then they start to spread out. They get intertwined. They get tight. They mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut that. We roll it up. We stick it on trucks, and we bring it in in October. We will lay down, you know, our field. Uh, we're growing two fields down there. The the 20,000 seats that we have... Um, we have a, an incredible hologram um, inside of our experience center out in Golden Valley, which judges should come out and take a look at sometime. Uh, but inside of that, it shows you how intimate the stadium is as compared to TCF. This stadium basically goes straight up along the sides. Um, and our crowd are going to be right over the top of the game. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be incredible from an atmospheric standpoint. It's going to create a home field advantage for our players it's going to feel really really intimate for every fan there isn't a bad seat in this house um and then you've got Wonderwall on one end you know you've got our fan supporter section on one end 2800 people standing chanting tifos smoke flags you know it's going to create an incredible atmosphere on the other end you know we have basically a bar that runs the entire length of um, the goal line uh that's into the stadium and outside of the stadium so you know, we can produce events on a great lawn outside of that pub. Um, on a weekend, we can have an art fair. We can have a food festival. We can do a kids' show. We can do all sorts of different things and have that bar and our team store open. And also, because our team is maybe away when we're programming those events, we can actually show the away game on our uh, board, which faces that end. So um, it's really been carefully thought out how we've designed the stadium um, how we're putting sort of the fans' experience really at the center of all of our thinking. And the fans extend beyond what happens on game day. It also extends into the programming of all of those spaces on a non-game day. We want spaces inside of there that have all of the AV capability that anybody would want to have to have a Chamber of Commerce meeting, a convention, um, some type of um, wedding, bar mitzvah, whatever it might be. We have spaces, board meetings. We have spaces that basically will accommodate all of that. So 
beautifully designed, very, very well thought through, always with the consumer at the center of our thinking. So with that, Chris, just your experience having done this with Target Center before, with you renovating that $150 million, I believe, went into that? Yep. This stadium will be north of that uh, pricing-wise and expense-wise. What is it that you learned having done the renovation that you know is an important necessity? And then maybe when you look back at it, hindsight being 2020, maybe you put a little bit more emphasis on this than you would have the first go around. What are some of the things you learned the most as you play Sims with a new stadium and close to $200 million? Yeah, great question. Um, You know, the the most important thing is... um, I, I think what I've been saying, I, you know, I'll, I'll say it again and then I'll go from there, but you've, you've got to put the fan experience at the center of your thinking. I mean, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, we're expecting a certain level of support for this team to be able to sort of build a business around, you know, this, this great team that we're building and stadium that we're building, et cetera. This is completely um, privately financed. There's no public money, you know, involved in the stadium. So it's a, it's a different beast completely, but the experience of Target Center is is incredible. The, the 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 issue in the end with Target Center became how do you most effectively spend 150 million dollars, knowing that you could spend an awful lot more. So, <laughs> from a value sure. engineering standpoint, what are the things that are nice to haves, um, but are versus the must haves? And what we decided there, ph- philosophically speaking, was if it touched the fan we did it. If it didn't touch the fan, we put it over to the side and decided somewhere down the road, how are we going to address all of that? And we've taken that little philosophy to the stadium. If it touches the fan, what are we doing with it and how are we doing it? The rest sort of we'll take care of inside of the budget somewhere. Oh, it's really insightful to hear and really smart when you just step back and you think about how simplistic that is, but yet how important that is. And and one of the cool things that Chris does every day is is he has a uh, an actual whiteboard of how many days until the first day in Allianz Field, 355. You got it. Is that correct? You got it. 355 days until <laughs> that. 355 <laughs> days out, 13 days after putting the seats on sale, the premium seats have already sold out. What does that say to you as the CEO for the demand for the product, where things are going, and then what's the state of the union with people being able to be in Allianz Field, and how do they go about that? Yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it, it surprised me, Jamie, as well, and, and and Jude, you were saying that this is an incredible market, you know, off the air. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I would I would agree with you entirely. And our fans are no different to fans of, you know, the other sports here in town. I mean, they're they're rabid, they're passionate, they're they're all in, on on sort of what we're we're doing here. And um, obviously, there are people who have been with us for an extended period of time, and they're the ones who we offered initially all of our premium products too. What has amazed me is that, you know, they've all moved into those premium products. You know, they're, they, they want this game experience that um, includes food and beverages in, included. They want a higher end sort of level of entertainment at the games, uh, whether that's businesses, whether that's individuals. Uh, but we have gone through all of our premium products very, very quickly, sold it out within 13 days. We have one club left, um, the stadium club. Uh, it's our biggest club. 
uh, that's about to go on sale. That will be the next offering that we have. We'll see whether or not that goes as quickly. Chris, th- thanks much. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for stopping in. Thanks, Judd. Jamie, you also have to take off, correct? I've got to take off. Thank you so much, Judd and Dave, for it's letting me fill in. It's been awesome. It goes by quick with you guys. And Dave, you've got questions coming up next. What do you got? I do have questions, Judd. Uh, the, uh, the CBS coverage of the NCAA tournament has been getting criticized for one specific reason, and I want to ask you whether the criticism is fair or not, as well as some other topics we'll dig into. We'll do it next.